Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 19 and 24 through 37. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling all the wise men in Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods in, is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then, as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze. While these words were still in my mouth, a voice came down from the heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, y'all, out of order. <laughs> okay, but leave the stump and the roots of the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and surrounded by tender grass. Now let them be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers, it is commanded by the holy ones, so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of these wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy God is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome with, for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord the king. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. 
But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as a royal residence to display my majestical power. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than now, than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. That was a long reading, um, but we continue in our sermon series um, in the American Idols. Today we'll look at the idol of preeminence, and this is not a word we use every day. I had to look it up to try to find the right word to fit what I wanted to say. But the idol, preeminence, a.k.a. superiority, competence, excellence, distinction, swag, right? To put some respect on your name, right? Never missing. All those things, preeminence is a driving force in the culture and hearts of us Americans. Or Americans could not, maybe not all of us are Americans in here, right? But we are all driven and drawn towards the rewards and spoils of being known of being feared, uh, of being renowned now, right? In control at the top of our game, getting reverence and glory and recognition. It is an idol that we will see first starts with a misunderstanding. I have some word differences here between yours. First starts with a misunderstanding and misuse of God-given dominion and power. Secondly, the idol of preeminence is about being the only one. And finally, the idol of preeminence leads to subhuman madness. Misuse and misunderstanding of God-given dominion and power about being the only one. And finally, leads us to subhuman madness. And this is my hope as we explore uh, the, this idol of preeminence, that, that we who worship it or wield it or consume and are controlled by it, Will, um, will be liberated from it by the preeminent God 
of the Bible. Like in the life of the 6th century BC king of Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of the most preeminent empires the world has ever known. The idol of preeminence, like with him, starts with and started with a misunderstanding and misuse of his God-given dominion and power. Look back with me at verse 20 when it says this. It says, the tree you saw growing very tall and strong, right, reaching uh, high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, King Nebuchadnezzar, is you. For you have grown, grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and you rule to the ends of the earth. So this dream describes King Nebuchadnezzar as a tree, a, a king tree, if you will, whom God who put, who, who, whom God put there and gave gifts and wealth and authority to as the tree be used to care for and comfort the people in his kingdom and watch over the land and place and resources that God had put under him. Look in at verse 18 with me. It says here, Belteshazzar, um, that was a dream that, he, that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me, it says, what it means. For none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And then, of course, he says, King, I wish it were about somebody else, but it's about you. And then look at verse 27 with me. And this is at the very end. He says, says um, after Daniel finishes talking, he says this. No, no, that's Daniel still talking there. King, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. He says, break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Now, this is Daniel speaking, the namesake of the book. He's interpreting the dream. Now, it is easy to miss this unless you are a Jew, having returned from exilic servitude and slavery reading this, or a person who has suffered the tyranny and abuse of, a po of, power, of the powerful. But for him to call Daniel by his slave name, and to have all those magicians that come from other countries like Daniel, and for Daniel to be frightened to tell the king the meaning of the dream, and, and seeing the advice Daniel gives the king in verse 27, it tells us something. And then look with me at verse 28. It says here, but all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is after Daniel gives him the advice. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as a royal residence to display my majestic power. 
While these words are still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. I want you to understand, this is not just a message to those who are prideful. But this is a message of hope, right? For those who would read it, for those who actually live under tyranny and oppression and abuse that that has made the evil rich and privileged, that God is going to do something about it, that God sees it, right? I don't want to take this book away from its original context. This was to encourage oppressed people that this great and mighty king would not stay in power and mistreat them because God was over him. This is why the king is dealt with. Not because, hear me, not because he is rich and in a position of power. It's because, as Daniel said, you are sinning and unmerciful and unjust to even have built the kingdom and your personal portfolio the way you have on the backs of people that you went in and conquered and enslaved and took from their own countries to serve you and your wealth and power. You see, when you look at the tree, right? If we were just to look at the tree apart from the, from the rest of the explanation, we would be like, this is an incredible tree. You see, instead of providing, here's the word, providing from his position and power, he used his position, King Nebuchadnezzar, used his position, power, and leadership gifts and abilities, his expertise to self-promote to elevate himself. Think about what he said when he was on the roof, through stealing people from their countries to his, right? Appropriating. I mean, this, this book is replete with this, right? Appropriating and assimilating their cultures, taking their voice away, feeding off of their weaknesses, lording over them in such a way that there would and could not be any other movement, any other trees, but him and for him, King Nebuchadnezzar misunderstood and misused his God-given position of power. I don't have to go into it. We'll be here all day. If I talk about our country, its history, its institutions, how wealth was built, <laughs> Got to be careful. You know, good thing I'm not in the public schools of 37 states. I won't be able to tell y'all. You know, I, it, it's hard for me because, you know, we, we can't talk about, you know, the sordid history of our country in any way that makes any certain people group look racist, right, more than any other. But then we can't really read the Bible. Because what are we saying about Egyptians? And what are we saying about Iraqis? See, we, 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 we just want to, the reason we're attacking these things is we want to protect our own sense of worth and dignity instead of using our positions to properly give it and restore it back to those who've been oppressed. The Bible is really filled with a lot of CRT. Okay, moving on. Plenty, because the Egyptians look real bad. Maybe we shouldn't read Exodus because it makes... All Egyptians look racist. Okay. That was for y'all. And for anybody else who hears it, I know I'm in trouble now. But hey, listen. Listen to this. Our country, its institutions, its history, and apart from all that stuff, just the national culture are fortified, are built upon misuse and abuse of power to climb to preeminence, regardless of race, right? Right? 
regardless of nationality, regardless of ethnic group. In the U.S., let's face it, if you want to be great, if you want to be preeminent, if you want to be a class jumper, if you want to be the creme de la creme, the bourgeoisie, a class jumper, an influencer, the queen bee of your queendom, we can easily misuse and abuse our God-given abilities, skills, personalities, power, people, charisma, institutions, and present cultural freedoms to climb and keep for your personal glory. This is a great place for it. What is our, what is our constitution? What, what do we believe, right? The pursuit of what? Happiness. It never says don't pursue happiness on the back of people who are enslaved. Don't pursue happiness on the back of people who aren't as powerful as you, as privileged as you, people who are underneath your power in some way. It says just pursue happiness. And we believe that. Look, here's the point. I ain't trying to point out anybody else more than anybody else, okay? I'm just talking about our country's history. I'm just talking about how things work. I'm talking about Babylonian history. They became the most, one of the most preem, preeminent kingdoms ever known to have ever been on this earth, right? I mean, here's the, here's, here's the deal. Each one of us here, believe it or not, is a King Nebuchadnezzar, a tree of sorts, right? What do I mean? You've all taken your place in human history, right? In God's history, you're born, you're here, and maybe you're not as tree, a tree as big and tall or as wide as King Nebuchadnezzar, but you are in relationships with, with people and the world are dependent and affected by you or in need of you or your gifts or expertise or how you can fill where they are empty, a supply and demand, right, of relationships in this world that God has set up, parents to children, right? Even children to parents, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, friends to friends, bass line to melody, percussion to guitar, right? Boss to employee, government leader to con constituents, and on and on. Internet to user, entertainer. Whether it's what you have filmed or captured or cut and paste, you are a responsible user and shaper now of your world in some way. Where are you the tree? that people come and need. Maybe you are the gatherer of the group, and now you got all these friends around you and people following you. They need you to love them. God's given you a magnetic personality. That's not, your, that's not yours. He gave it to you, right? God's given everybody some sort of something. I remember when, y'all remember those who are closer to my age, when it was all about rap music and MTV's fault, why things are so bad in society, it's MTV, it's cable, right? Well, now in this historical technological movement, do you realize you are your personal TV news radio station broadcasting to the world and commenting and liking and hating all kinds of things and people? Have you thought about the FCC rules and all that stuff? <laughs> you <laughs> all have a broadcast station on Instagram and Facebook. You're all responsible for putting stuff out there, and you might be good at it. 
right? Some of you have beauty and you got little ways of filming and doing things. And when you like it or hate it, you know 200 other people got to like it or hate it. Or you can, oh, I see what's wrong with their argument. And you put it in and, and you, you are shaping things. And it gives us glory and followers and likes and greatness and access and power, fame over capturing a good fight. Did you know, I remember, Kelly, you remember the, the, at, uh, in middle school, they had to uh, start suspending kids or expelling them. Why? Because they would film fights in the bathroom. Remember that? And they would stage the fights. They had like, these kids were like the Don King of middle school. They, they would come in and it'd be like, hey man, you want to fight so-and-so in the bathroom? Well, we friends but we can film it and see how many likes we get. This at the magnet school. These are smart, supposed to be the smart kids, right? They were smart because they were trying to get them likes. They were trying to get them hits. And so they would go in the bathroom and set up a fight. Two kids would fight each other. Oh, yeah. And then they would post it, right? Little King Nebuchadnezzar's, right? <laughs> to climb the ladder, to be popular. And we have all misused our position, right? And power and beauty and technology and access and intellect. Even some of you introverts, you ain't out. You introverts are often very empathic. And so you're clever in how you can manipulate people and world according to your own need to have glory and self-worth and security within yourself. I've seen empathics and introverts control a room. You know the, the, the person who's most broken going to come to the introverted, empathic person. I'm having a real hard day. I know you would be there, right? Because you're the only one who's not talking. You're the only one willing to list. I'm not there for you, Howard. I'm not there for you. I'm not empathic. Okay? Don't, no. I'm probably going to be talking about what I want to talk about. I'll be trying to get the crowd going, get the people what they want, right? But I even think about the way some of us shame and use and have despised our own kids. You're the tree of your family, parents, or uncle, or aunts, or teachers. You shame and despise and use them for, for their grades. You, dis, you shame and despise their lack of drive in some way or their sexuality or, or athletic performance so we can feel free like King Nebuchadnezzar did on the roof to talk about how great our kids are. Not for them, but at the expense and mental and emotional distress that they feel, you feel good about yourself. How do I know? I'm a parent who does it. When I get in the room and they're talking about kids and what they're doing, oh, I wish I could pull the Ivy League card out or something, right? Well, my kids got into this school, but they turned down this money. You know, he, ah, right? I want it. Why? I want to look good. I want to stand out on the roof above all of y'all, rest of y'all parents. Not for Clark or Harrison, for me. And wives and husbands, y'all fall right into it. Y'all, me too. Along with those fake friends and associations you have, you ain't there for nobody else. You're just going to the pool or to the club or hanging out with folk for you. All the friends you got on Facebook, why? 
Why do you have them? Can you really sustain them in a real godly way? So what's the purpose? You. A lot of times you. Sometimes it's good to catch up with people. All right, I understand that. I'm not trying to be hardcore, right? But the way we build and scheme and lie on our resumes and stretch or fantasize about ourselves and our abilities to ourselves, much less others at work to get ahead, it's the American way. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Right? Lie. Hold your arms up and, and just imagine how great you are. Right? You've seen them little signs, you know, you get in the mall, little flashy ones, maybe with, a, with an eagle on it or something or a mountain, and you got to believe in yourself. you got to follow your destiny. And then probably some of them have mirror backgrounds so you can see yourself, right? No. Where'd you get that? Which God told you that? Huh? We had this one tree at our old 1920s bungalow when we lived in 28205. Um, and I'm saying one because I have an illustration about another one. And we discovered that that, been, that tree should have died but had been living from the water of an empty buried oil can container. You know, it, they had oil cans to heat the house. Not cans. What's the thing called? Barrel. Whatever the thing is. And they buried this one, right? And so you couldn't see it. But boy, that tree was big. And the people are like, why is this tree so tall? It's bigger than the rest of them because its roots went into this old oil can. This displaced, disenfranchised, buried, forgotten container had collected some water in there. Every time it rained, it would go through the dirt and it would get in this broken oil can. And that tree was just sucking up all the water. And, not only, and then not only that, it ate a fence in its girth. You ever see a tree eat a fence? Where a fence is now in the tree? Ruin my fence. When I sold the house, this is part of the artistic. No, we set this up like that for the natural look. No, we didn't. But it shook the corner of the whole foundation of the house. And when it had to be removed, it left a hole so big that the house corner where it was began to sink in that corner and needed more foundation to be propped back up. One bad, self-preserving, promoting, and sucking tree found a void, found a weakness, a position, and destroyed everything around it for its greatness. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, for his self-promotion and survival, he found himself alone at the top. And for the idol of preeminence, it is a good thing to be the only one, ain't it? Where you are great alone, and alone are great, right? What do I mean by being the only one? Like King Nebuchadnezzar, we have all recreated, remixed, I like to say cut and pasted, repurposed and reinterpreted God's dream for us and made it for and about ourselves alone. Think about it. King Nebuchadnezzar's counsel are like Daniel, renamed under tyranny and oppression. <laughs> I start to think about what Belshazzar must really mean when the man is obviously, right, uh, a, believes in one God. And he says, Belshazzar, in other words, person who has the spirit of many gods at work in him. Didn't I tell you I believed in one God? Okay, 
many gods spirit in you, right? That's like calling them boy. Come here, boy. Tell me my dream. Be respectful to me. I'm in king. Come on, son. Come on, cuz. Come on, boy. Right? It's a term of subjection, y'all. I'm getting to a point here. This is not a sermon, oh man, this is one of these social... No, this is a term of subjection and it points to something. The king put those around him in position and has arranged his relationship to keep him alone as the unaccountable decision maker as great all by and for himself. Look at what Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar. We've already read it, right? Hey, king... You better quit doing the stuff you're doing. Quit living unjustly. Don't oppress the poor anymore. Give them relief. Give them mercy. And then the king responds how? The Bible tells us. He goes out on his deck and is like, it's been a year since that dream interpretation. I'm good. Right? Here's what I'm realizing. And this is why Lent is so important. Right? He didn't care for what Daniel had to say really. He was too high on it in himself in his personal ambition and insecurity. So the king not only ignored it for 12 months, but understand what he said with his mouth. That's why the Bible says while it was still on his mouth. There was something about his mouth that revealed what was really going on in his heart. You see, here's the deal. He was spending 12 months not repenting. He was spending 12 months pumping himself up with personal affirmations of greatness instead of humbling himself in act of repentance. The Bible says he took his own advice, his own way. When he went up on a terrace and said, look at how great I am, that stump can't be me. Uh, They can't tell me. I know I'm right. What I have for me, it is for me, right? And the Bible says while the words were on his mouth, what Daniel prophesied began to happen. Ask yourself especially in our country. Oh my gosh. Woo, the rugged individualism that built this great nation, right? Has ripped out our hearts. Because ask yourself why nobody can tell you nothing. Yeah, that was a double negative. Why is it that you don't want to hear in conflict with your personal desire for importance and being special and unique? You know what you do? I do it. I want to put people around me that'll kiss the ring, right? That'll pump me up. That'll make me feel good. Now, that would work in my life, but God has blessed me with my wife, right? She sees that prideful whatever that can destroy me but also be oppressive to her. This is what speaking uh, truth to power really means. It means holding, holding accountable those who may be over you. But the problem with this situation in this country is sometimes you don't need to listen. There is no ethic of listening outside of looking like you're listening so you can get reelected or so you can stay in a position. You fake listening. Daniel, I was really terrified. Please tell me. King, this is what the dream means. Daniel is torn apart. King, I'm sorry. Here it is. What's the king do? Thank you for that great dream, but I I got to do me. Right? 
Some of you, hate to go down this road, it's true, are in dating and romantic relationships. And they give you a feeling of preeminence. He really loved me. He treat me good. I get steak and the lobster tail. I get the drinks. I get the pleasure. I'll stop right there. Maybe, dude, oh, man, I have her on my arm. Ooh, boy, I know everybody looking like how he got her, right? And somebody says, you know, I think this is a toxic relationship. I'm in love, right? You can't tell me nothing. Because it makes me feel good about myself. And you can't tell me anything that doesn't make me feel good about myself. Right? You and I love and live in the power seat of being alone and alone running our stuff in our lives. You're not going to listen to those haters. That's the word we like. You ain't nothing but a hater. The Bible doesn't call people, our brothers and sisters and Lord, that we're called to be accountable uh, to haters, but lovers. Right? True lovers, right? But, but the twisted vision of your greatness that really ain't too great is too great in your own mind to let anyone or anything else get in the way of it. So you listen, and I'm saying things, and people tell you things, and you're like, I'm not listening to them because, you know, the church people, they're just trying to be in authority. They're just trying to bring you down. I'm not going to church no more. I'm not listening to the Bible anymore. God's about bringing me down. I got to get ahead, right? And, that's, and then people just say, forget it. We don't want anyone else crowding our space either. We don't want anybody else in our dominion with their advice of their company or their, you know, a lot of times what people don't want, I don't want nobody trying to be me. I'm unique. I'm different. We don't want any other greatness around us, right? Sometimes, yo, yo, I had a whole thing on this. I wasn't going to put it in here because I don't want to preach too long, but I must do it anyway. So like, you know what I struggled with for years? being the pastor of a, planting a church and being the pastor at Christ Central, just this extreme need to be different than other churches. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I had to check myself. I don't want to be different because God's called me, called me in this church to a particular and peculiar vision and mission. I want to be different because I want to be better than the other churches. And it's easy to look. And I told y'all this long time ago, multi-ethnic church is a culture. And as a culture, it's easy to look over at churches that are mono-ethnic or politically different, maybe more right or more left than us, and say, man, I can't, I'm not listening to them, right? I do it all the time when I go to a Presbyterian meeting. No, uh-uh, they can't tell me nothing, right? And I hate that that is true that I've taken a vow of submission to my brothers and fathers, as we call them, in this group of really short-sighted, very monocultural, sometimes very monopolitical people. But they're my brothers and my fathers. Unless I choose, that ain't it. Unless I go to another family under a different tent of God's grace. I don't know, but I'm saying that's what it is. Man, we love to hate. We have this dark drive to conquer and smother the competition with your thinking, your value, your worth, your greatness, your uniqueness. The Bible kind of takes that away. And when Paul writes, you know, there is no sin uncommon to mankind. Comparing and one-upping is the American way to keep your stock high 
at work, in business, and in your personal life within yourself. We live focusing on their weaknesses and building a false eminence from delusions of grandeur after the Lord has told us in various ways that that is not greatness. We've interpreted our lives in a way that God has not, in a way that is unchallengeable. You know what that kind of thinking does? It makes you crazy. <laughs> Y'all remember the movie Joker? Is that right? Joker, the one with Joaquin? I'm saying it right? Not Joaquin. Joaquin? Sometimes in my mind, I say Joaquin, but I know it's Joaquin because I'm smart. Okay, so, st and, um, so starring Joaquin Phoenix is about a man with mental illnesses who can't get help due to poverty and family brokenness, and his life goes south, but then all of a sudden, he gets a girlfriend. And it looked like he having proper and, and healthy relationship. Y'all remember that? And it seemed like he can socialize for the first time in his life. But then when it progresses, you realize that he has imagined it all. <laughs> and his mental brokenness, he never had a girlfriend. He imagined that that woman loved him. Because I remember thinking, why is she like him? Now, this is my fleshly kind of surface thinking. I'm like, that lady looked good. Him, she about something. But, no. eh, don't go. But I fell into it. Well, maybe... God's grace helped him or something. I don't know. But at the end, you have to go back and think what was fake and what was real. He was great alone and alone greatness mind. And then you have to go back and think what is true. Is the story you watched or he lived, is it real? You see, the idol of preeminence is the road to madness. The idol, the raw desire for preeminence and rising up, even from hardship, makes you actually believe your hype and blinds you to the truth. God has called us, yes, to fight injustice and oppression. That is a different talk. But this king was so committedly and necessarily hyped on himself and his confidence he believed he could overcome and control what God had said about him. Look at verse 24 through 26. I realize why I can't read this, why? because the other Bible I've been using for years is bigger, right? So I realize that. Um, verse 24, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven, seven periods of time will pass over uh, while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kings of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots, of the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again, again when you have learned that heaven rules. Okay, the idol of eminence makes you and me neurotic psychos in living. <laughs> you know why? Because you become untouchable. Untouchable by love unreachable by the call of humanity on your soul, unsearchable and unknowable, impenetrable by people, by right progress, by truth, and worse, close off from the voice and message of your God because you want something to be true about and for you more than what you, what you want, that more than you want him, the Lord, and his truth about you, which leaves you having to live a foolish lie. Uh, it's so difficult for people to accept what God's sovereignty means. God has decided what is right and wrong. 
God has created in each one of us what dignity and humanity and good and bad living is for us. For you to live outside of that is inhumane. This is humanity. God created it. It hasn't changed since, since he spoke the word into existence and created mankind out of the dust. Anytime you feel like you live above that, you're actually living outside of that. That's why King Nebuchadnezzar becomes visually a beast of the field. It's amazing God didn't say, okay, you want to be great and powerful? Boom, I'm going to let you live up in the sky. Because he wasn't. He was actually living subhuman as a king of injustice and cruelty and oppression and thinking he was God all by himself and even above God. The Bible says he became a madman. God let him become on the outside. A broken, twisted, lonely, hollow, insecure, nothing about the Lord, what he was on the inside. That's the true picture. We had another prominent tree in our backyard. You remember that other tree? When we were trying to get the house rented out or something. And of course, it was like the day before the rental, people come look at it. That's, that was when the real estate market was, and we had to rent it, right? And, and uh, so we had this tree that was struck by lightning and it broke easily. Pow, pow. And I remember it, 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 I mean, you hit by lightning, most trees will fall. But understand, it, it, it just cracked like, like glass and it fell on the uh, fence, ruined the fence, dang. And I'm out there with a chainsaw, remember? Baby, I was out there with the chainsaw. I was the man out there, you remember? It was raining too. I thought I was doing something. I put on my stuff. And you were looking out the window like, Lord, don't let them get hurt, weren't you? <laughs> and then the guys from the city came and they had chainsaws and I'm, and they were like, zoop, zoop. Okay, Mr. Brown. Wow. And I was like, I just need to get that expensive chainsaw. That was the difference. But we found out when it broke, it was hollow on the inside all along. And it's being held up by a couple of things the root system of healthy trees it had entangled in. And secondly, there was dirt and refuse. And like, there was a presence of some bug that was eating the tree from the inside. And over the years, the bug's poop was deposited in the tree trunk. And that kind of helped mash together and hold the tree trunk up for years. All kind of animals living on there. Oh, it was nasty. It was like this black pitch came out when I took the tree apart. I'm like, that's all there was to that big and mighty tree. Our desire for eminence and competency and importance and fame and celebrity is not a sign of those things being present within, but more than often a sign that we are stumped by life, that we are not alone, great, just alone. Just entangled in relationships instead of engaging healthily, 
We're just propped up until disaster reveals our weakness. We are being hollowed out and eaten by the pestilence of fame and fortune and greatness and being seen as smart or relevant or beautiful to the point that we have become filled and held up by all sorts of darkness and mess and fake and desperation for being noticed and wanted and paid and promoted and all insecure and needy. Our hearts and souls have become busied with what will kill us and drive us out of the peaceful mind and healthy life God is offering. But there's good news that doesn't look or feel so good on the surface. Like with King Nebuchadnezzar, we can be brought back to sanity, peace, and health by God's embracing truth. Look at verse 23 again with me. It says here, Then you saw a messenger, holy one, coming down from heaven. Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with, drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for a seven periods of time. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar saw and experienced who he really was on the inside. I'm moving quickly, y'all. He was brought down and straight-jacketed so that he could get help and redemption from his idol. Now, we are not sure what hit him. Maybe a psychotic episode. Maybe he burned out. Maybe a disease. But it took him down for not seven years, but a complete series of seasons or political terms. But it took away his venue and ability for greatness. Seven years, seven seasons means completely humiliated. And it did what must be done for each of us in this country and world. God is saying to us in the story of King Nebuchadnezzar what he communicated to him. It's not the kingdom. It's not the king that you are. It's not your position. It's not the influence. It's worse than that. King Nebuchadnezzar, the stump represents and tells us that it's your heart. It's who you really are, a broken person separated from God and healthy relationships. Your desire for greatness, for climbing a ladder, for self-glory has made you a beast and an amalgamation of the dignity and honor I originally created for you to have. And healing begins where God helps you and me realize that you can't control your world. You can't overcome it in your own power. We've all become, ironically, circus animals that jump through hoops to get their face on the side of a train or get the best cage, best snacks, but ultimately, like all other idols of the heart, the desire for preeminence and competency and fame and recognition will be a whip and chain to your dignity. It will become the ringleader and you and your foolishness of thinking's heart will believe you are playing it when it was playing you, that you are simply an act. Look at verse 26 as we final point here. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. The glory and good news here is that though he takes Nebuchadnezzar down, he keeps a stump, y'all. He keeps the opportunity and hope for his redemption from being and living like a fool. The stump is exposed now. It says that the dews of heaven is exposed to the nourishment that he was shielded from when he was the tree. Now, now the cambion, the, the, the inner part.
part of the, of the stump can now receive heaven's due, heaven's nourishment, heaven's care in a way of, in a humili- humiliating position that it could not be and receive it before. See, God has cut him down to where his heart is bare. So now he can feed his heart and touch his heart and transform his heart. He is now open to the work of God. Now the tree can be reborn. Look at the, the, I'm not going to read that. See, God, because he alone is preeminently good, is not just going to show us for what and who we really are. And I'm going to say this for you Christians too. For the first time or for the millionth time, God is going to show us not only who we are, but who he is. But before you go away running in fear that God's going to take everything from you. Oh, I'm so scared. When I read this passage, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm done. This is about the preeminence of God's grace, y'all. Over your preeminence for glory and power. Over it. In the gospel, in his message and mission of love for people, God does not use this preeminence in all things to condemn you. God's not trying to totally destroy and shame you or kill you, but with the love that would, that would, that, but with the love that as a stump, right, with a love that will restore instead of remove, a love that will give your mind and heart righteousness instead of rightly destroying and demeaning you are who you are, that God would open our insecured lives to being touched, to being reached, to be freed even, to being restored and usable from the shackles of being a beast of power, to being in community with him and with others, to no longer live in the loneliness of having, to be at the top or on top of everything, to finally look and live nourished by the preeminence grace and more loving and powerful than your own. It is this message, believe it or not, that we are sinners and Jesus is Savior sinners. That is not just the ax to our pride, but the fertilizer for our souls and lives. You see, it is not, this is not about the moral story of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's easy to read this and be like, don't be like King Nebuchadnezzar or God will get you. No, if you're like King Nebuchadnezzar, God can get you. Get you. Embrace you. Let me tell you what the story's really about. This story, it's not about how King Nebuchadnezzar changed and that changed the world. This story actually points forward to the humiliation of another king of kings so that you and I could be in a place and position to receive restoration to God. God sent Jesus, his son, the true and preeminent and eternal king of kings and lord of lords, to as verse 25 says here, look at it. He sent Jesus to be driven from human society, to live in the fields with wild animals, to be treated like one who ate grass, like a cow, to be drenched with the dew of heaven so that... Continuing on, until we learn, we learn that the Most High rules over the kingdom of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So that we can learn. Jesus, the preeminent King of kings and Lord of lords, verse 32 is about him. That he was driven from human society. He would live in the fields, right? So that we would learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. 
Jesus came to be despised, beaten, not claiming a kingdom of his own, to be grown, to be and grow in our lives what he really is, the tree of life. Take a rest under his branches. Lean into him for shelter and relief. I love most about this passage. It opens with King Nebuchadnezzar saying, this is written so that you can know that the Most High is God. This is a testimony. He's looking back at what God did. That means God did not destroy or condemn him, but saved him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know what else I like? Next chapter, guess what it's about? Daniel and his friends thrown in the lion's den by King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> what was before this? Right? The oven thrown in the fiery furnace. Christian, you've been walking with the Lord 40 years, close to 40 years, like me, something like that. Thank God that this is true over and over and over again. The Bible says he prunes and cuts those that he loves so that we can be more connected and find hope in Christ. Maybe this is your first time hearing it. Bow to the king again. Maybe this is your millionth time hearing it. Believe again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that people would be able to remember some of this, most of this in their hearts. I ask that you would please help us to repent. But Lord, not repent to condemnation, but turn to the fact that Jesus was treated like King Nebuchadnezzar so that we could be restored and return to the glory that God created for us in Christ Jesus. For those of us, Lord, living the rat race, trying to be important, trying to be seen, trying to be known, trying to climb to the top, trying to prove to mom and dad we got it. Give us relief under the shade of your tree and gently grow us over seasons of time into who you would have us to be. I pray and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.